0: Thank you for tuning in uh, to another edition of the Hints for Healing podcast, showcasing the diverse and multidisciplinary work which contributes to psychological recovery, resettlement and development of children and learners with a refugee experience. Again, I'm your host, Sean Nemorin, and I manage the school liaison program at the New South Wales Service for the Treatment and Rehabilitation of Torture and Trauma Survivors STARTS. And uh, before I begin, I obviously want to acknowledge that I'm recording this intro on Cabrigal land and uh, let me pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Let me also pay my respects to any Aboriginal person who might be listening to this podcast and I want to acknowledge the, um, I want to acknowledge the past trauma of colonisation on Aboriginal communities coupled with the ongoing challenges in healing and to forge a path towards recognition and self-determination. Today's guest is actually quite integral to the podcast, and it is Dr. Nicole Lehr, whom um, you will likely hear a lot more of from um, in the future, um, and as she'll be a co-host. Um, Nicole has a PhD from Flinders University in social science and a master's in counseling from Monash University, coupled with actually a bachelor's, in, a bachelor's degree in geography, which you will hear from a little bit later. Uh, Her clinical work with young people with refugee backgrounds draws on art, play, sand tray, and narrative-based practices. And, um, you know, she also enjoys supporting school staff to build their knowledge and confidence in working effectively with students with a refugee experience. Um, I've been working with Nicole for a number of years. I have a great respect for her ethics in practice She's obviously an exceptionally knowledgeable practitioner and I do hope that you get something out of this discussion. Enjoy. Well, welcome everyone to the, uh, the next episode of the Hints for Healing podcast. Um, I guess this interview is something of a showpiece and similarly an introduction to perhaps the mastermind behind Hints for Healing and her name is Nicole Leur. Um, first, before we start off, I just want to say that I've worked with Dr. Le um, for a number of years, and she's an exceptionally competent therapist and practitioner in this space. And from now on, um, we'll actually be alternating in interviews um, in bringing you different hints for healing um, of young people from torture and trauma experiences as we've been doing these last months. Um, So without um, further ado, uh, Nicole, I would like to ask you a little bit about yourself and how you came to this journey. Um, you know, of course, how you became a therapist and in working with, alongside young people with refugee experiences.
1: All right. Um, well, thanks for the introduction, Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, how I came to this work. well. Obviously, it was through a geology degree. So um, I actually yeah. did my undergraduate in geology and I did honours in that as well. But um, I did love that degree, but uh, I didn't last very long in the work. Um, so after about seven months, I just knew it was a really poor fit for me.
0: Um, That's so interesting. <laughs> so you came from geology to counselling. So what, what, yeah. what did you start with the geology in the first place?
1: Um, through Egyptology. So I, I Egyptology. went to Macquarie. <laughs> I went to Macquarie University because they offered Egyptology, which um, I love thanks to a really great experience with ancient history in high school. Uh-huh. Um, and so I took some I took a geology subject in first year thinking it would be useful for archaeology down the track, Mm. Um, but I ended up really enjoying that geology subject far more than um, the ancient history subjects that I was studying at the time, they weren't Egyptology they were Greece and Rome, and I just ended up going down the geology path really quickly, they had some Great field trips and it was all really exciting. and I just got carried away with it all um, right through to, yeah, finishing honours in geology and oh. loving it to the end. But, yeah, the work didn't quite live up to that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to go on this um, Egyptology Egypt tangent, <laughs> but what was it specifically about Egyptology and, and geology that, that, that really attracted you? Um,
1: I think it was piecing together just stories of yeah, right. people's lives, um, the detective work in trying to find out um, about, yeah, who walked the planet before us. Um, just found it all fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, I was 17 at the time making those choices. and sure.
0: sure. Um, and yeah. well, what do we know when, we, when we're <laughs> 17, right, in terms of what the future might look?
1: yeah just following, I guess we're just told to follow our interests, and that's yeah. what I loved in high school, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. and then from from geology, um, how did you how did you come to where you are now?
1: Well, look, i was I was in a place where I was really not enjoying that work. That was about seven months into my first job as a geologist. and um, I was on a bushwalk in um, Lamington National Park um, with some friends and and my now husband. Mm-hmm. And um, Lamington National Park, it's this beautiful, ancient rainforest in southeast Queensland. Mm-hmm. And I was just trailing behind everyone else, just really unhappy with, you know, just the the unfortunate start to my career and just mm-hmm. really unhappy with it all. And uh, I just remember just feeling so dwarfed walking through that forest, so dwarfed, so humbled just by the world, by nature. And I'm just going, look, Nicole, you can still make a change. You know, I was 20, I think 21 at the time. Um, and just going, but this time you'll have to really look at what you care about, you know, what do you deeply, deeply care about? Because I really didn't want to, you know, go and study another degree and get it wrong again. Yes. Um, so as soon as I went, you know, Nicole, what do you really want to do? What do you really care about? Um it was clear that I wanted to help. I wanted to be helpful, mm. um, you know, somehow serve, give back, um, mm. uh, just feeling, yeah, just doing something with this feeling that when you're in a, in a place of strength or having, you know, had all these opportunities to study, etc., and just wanting to do something really helpful with that. Um, and then quite soon, just in, that, in the space of that walk, um, the idea of supporting the resettlement of migrants and refugees just came to mind. Um, and I just took, I never let go of that idea. Like I couldn't wait to get home and research how I could get into that field of work as quickly as possible, you know, without doing a degree, just, just started because I just had this really strong feeling that um, that's where I would find fulfilment.
0: So how did you come to becoming a, a counsellor and, and, um, and doing psychotherapy?
1: Well, I knew that this time I'd have to try the work first before um, re- re-qualifying. So, and I was able to do that through a traineeship. Mm-hmm. So I launched straight into a traineeship in community services work. So I could just test the water and see um, if this is really what I thought it would be. And it was, and I knew that very quickly once I started. I I was living in Brisbane at the time and I was working on um, the newly arrived youth support service. So that's where I got to do my traineeship and that was a really great experience and I genuinely loved everything about the work. And then I finished that and went on to a youth development worker role um, and really enjoyed that as well. And I think I was doing that for maybe half a year to a year before I thought, yeah, I wanna, I really wanna invest in this, um, this sector and do a further qualification. So I embarked on a master's in counselling through Monash University. And while I was doing that, um, I was doing some work uh, with children out of home care so I did some residential youth work and um, and I got to do, I had a really good experience of my placement for my master's in counselling. Um, it was with this organisation called um, Act for Kids, so formerly the Abuse Child Trust. And that's where I got my first exposure to art and play and sound play therapy. So I had a great clinical supervisor there that trained me um, in those therapeutic approaches, um, and also how to use picture books therapeutically with, with children in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up working there after completing my master's in counselling. Um, so that was really my induction into um, therapy with children. Um, but after that, we had to re- relocate to Adelaide. And all I wanted to do with was be a children's counsellor. I really love this work and all these therapies really, um, I could just really see how effective they were. And I, um, But I couldn't find any work in Adelaide. No one was advertising for children's counsellor positions. And um, so I just thought it's now or never. Um, uh-huh. I'll, I'll dive into a PhD. If I don't do it now, I'll probably never do it. Uh, so it just seemed like the right time where I wasn't finding the work I wanted to do. And yeah, and I and I came back to working with um, people with refugee experience. So, yeah. um, in the work I'd done um, with people with refugee experience, I'd seen just what a hindrance insecure housing um, is to resettlement, mm-hmm. um, and and how hard it is to to work therapeutically with families mm. that are struggling with such a human right not being met. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was either unaffordable, unsuitable, or unstable and um, just had this, this yeah, really awful effect on resettlement. So I wanted to see what was possible um, within the confines of the private rental sector. So the private rental sector, as we know, is not ideal. Um, so I knew that you know social housing or um, options for affordable housing purchase would be better, but that just wasn't the reality for the clients that I had been seeing that was struggling. They were, you know, at the moment in this private rental sector. But I had heard anecdotally, anecdotally um, about um, some really good practice that was happening in the private rental sector from some standout real estate agents and landlords and also service providers that had worked really hard to build um, collaborative relationships with. Um, professionals in the private rental sector. And they really excited me, those um, little good news stories of how, it, you know, good practice um, can really be effective and help families. And I specifically looked at large families with refugee experience. So, yeah, I ended up um,
0: so, looking so that at that. PhD.
1: Yeah, that was the PhD.
0: Yeah, well, okay. And, and when, when was the first time that you started working with young people with a refugee experience?
1: That would have been the traineeship. So that was um, 2007, working on the newly arrived youth support service. So supporting young people and I suppose a a youth development role um, Mm. and helping them with uh, getting into the study or the the training or the the occupation that they wanted to get into. So, yeah, right from the start, actually.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, you haven't looked back from since then? no.
1: No. Just want to keep doing it really yeah and then yeah then this work at starts um you know from right from the start when i started it starts in 2000 and oh was that 2015. um yeah it was this school liaison role and it was just one position at the time and and it's just been the best fit and it, um, it only gets better because when I came back from extended leave, I had a whole team and <laughs> it's just been um, it's just been the best fit. I just love the mix of doing therapeutic individual work uh, and then being able to support young people on that more systemic level as well through um, supporting school staff, educators and student well-being staff and um, that are often just so keen to play, um, uh, yeah, improve the chances of their students um, getting a sense of belonging at school and supporting their recovery
0: at school. Yeah, wow. You, you know, what's really interesting is that sometimes I've thought about what I might do if I didn't go down, you know, this particular field, you know, in working therapeutically or, or working alongside um you know, people with a refugee experience. And I've been fascinated by primordial cultures, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and of, you know, around things like, you know, archaeology, but also, you know, ancient, you know, anthropological research in terms of how did people narrativize their lives and, you know, yeah. what was, you know, what were people thinking about? Um, you know, and, and, you know, we, one thing that I, that, that you know, there is a narrative around, You know, um, how, you know, the advancement of of, of civilization and, and, you know, Mm. the the perception that, you know, that that people increase in terms of our intelligence. But, you know, people were exceptionally intelligent then, you know, their abilities to narrativize things. And if you look Mm. at ancient Egypt, right, people were doing remarkable things. You know, for five thousand years ago, that we even don't know how they they managed to do. You know, yeah, and, it's and how did they conceptualise that with the limited tools they had, where mm. we, with our infinite tools, seemingly infinite tools now, don't quite know in terms of how they did it. So, I find it, I find it fascinating. So, yeah, there is a link. There's, there's this
1: link of um, wanting to understand what it's like to be human. There's yes. um, Yeah, understanding the human condition and what it would be like to be in different scenarios. So, yeah, I think that's all linked to um, empathy as well and being able to imagine yourself in different scenarios that you haven't personally been in. And, yeah, that certainly contributes to this work as well.
0: Yeah. Do you think um, anything um, around your own maybe cultural identity that, that had something of an impact in terms of your decision to go into this field?
1: Yeah, look, I was going to say that. Look, it sounds like it just came out of the blue, out of the forest, that um, I I should go and work with migrants and refugees. But um, no, both my parents uh, migrated to Australia, my dad from Lebanon and my mum from the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And then I was born here and raised here. Um, So that's always been, um, yeah, a core part of my identity, um, being the child of migrants to Australia. Mm and, yeah, look, but I think that more than that, um I really identified as being um, perhaps being cross-cultural, so mm. not so much that you know, I'm a second generation lebanese, Dutch Australian. Mm. Um, there's not much of a community around that. I think i, I think I only know my brother that's um'
0: <laughs> got that,
1: is in that group. So, yeah, I think um identifying strongly with other people that have mixed heritage or, a yeah. migration in their background, yeah. um, always felt a strong affinity, yeah, with people in, in that space.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you'd find quite a few people who have gone into this field, have had a similar background, myself included, and the affinity mm. that you have with other people who you feel might have, you know, struggled along that path and, and wanting to, to potentially make that path easier for them. Um, and you know the perception that you might have at least some tools to be able yeah. to make that happen yeah. yeah
1: yeah i was uh blessed i feel to have heard about um cross-cultural people or third culture kids um yeah. in my early 20s um uh an, an aunt of my husband's actually put us onto it and was like yeah. oh this clears up so much we, we understand um so much more of why um what makes us click and why we're drawn to the people that we are and um, because there's so many shared experiences that, that cross-cultural people have um, so yeah I'm grateful to have had my eyes open to that in my early 20s but yeah. I, I feel like it would have been even better to have been aware of that um, as a child and been able to grow up um, with a cross-cultural sense of self so because yeah. you can I really empathise with clients who, you know, they, they might have been born in one country and then have needed to flee and then have spent several years perhaps being schooled or not um, mm-hmm. in a second country before they come to mm-hmm. Australia. So they've got um, this cross-cultural background already, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yet there's messages mm-hmm. that um, these clients might get that, you know, they should be more for instance, if they were born in Iraq, you know, be more Iraqi or, um, you know, but then they might have spent some time in Lebanon. So it's like, oh, but you spent, you know, most of your schooling years in Lebanon. So you're kind of Lebanese, but not fully Lebanese, because, you know, you've got this different ethnic heritage. And then, then you come to Australia, and it's like, okay, I'm a new Australian, but I don't really quite feel Australian. But how can I just be, you know, you're always lacking, in a way, if you're like bits of, you're only, you know, halfway there on several fronts. But then, mm-hmm. when you hear about being a cross-cultural person, mm-hmm. you actually are f- a full, fully-fledged member of that group. And when you hear about the traits that um, that we share, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you can fully claim them. And I just find that really helpful to share with young people mm-hmm. that are exploring their identity on several fronts. Yes.
0: Yeah. And often. Young people might have spent you know their formative years in first country of asylum before having been resettled to Australia and sort of you know you've mentioned some of the complexities around that um, yeah yes do, do you think it's it's you know of course but do, do you think it's it's relevant in um, you know some of the work we do and um, and how do you think this influences some of the approaches that you might take in working with um mm. You know young people with the refugee experience who might have you know experienced what you've just described as third culture mm. kids
1: yeah look i think it works alongside other approaches it's sort of a, a background um mm, perspective that i mm. have and it's something i'm i just know to look out for especially working i when i work with clients they're, they're school-age clients um and um and they're working out how they fit into this society and there can be there can be a lot of grief and loss yeah, about yeah. Um, not only people um, and pets that have been lost or that are missing yeah. or that you're separated from yeah. but that that loss of um, linkages to culture that loss of language losing or becoming weaker in languages becoming stronger in English but weaker in others um, there's there's ambiguous loss around that where you know students are being applauded for the great leaps they're making in their English but there's some sadness around um, you know the languages that are are becoming weaker not used and not emphasized as much Uh. but um, I I find it valuable to introduce another perspective that that is a really normal part of um, being cross-cultural, a really normal part of migration. And there is no shame in that, no no blame for yourself or for your parents. It Mm -hmm. is, you know, it is, we we all have brains that can only hold so much. And sometimes we need to prioritize other areas. And, and, you know, when you choose that, you want to emphasize, reconnecting to language or culture they, that that time can always come and uh, yeah so that that works in the background of a lot of my work with most clients because it that sense of grief and loss comes up and also that sense of shame is usually in the background around I was mention that yeah yeah and um so I like to try and use that knowledge that comes um you know it was um a book by um Ruth Van Raken and um David Pollock that was on third culture kids. And and that's where a lot of my background knowledge on this comes from. And so, yeah, I try and give that perspective as well. So to alleviate some of that guilt and shame. Uh, um, Yeah. Yeah. And then I I work primarily with expressive um, therapies with, with the children Uh, I work with.
0: I guess sort of going and talking a little bit more about, you know, the, the, the the shame and, and the sense of loss that you're describing um you know one of the things that is quite is quite challenging and and in sad in a way in that you know most students that we work with are multilingual right but mm. because you know they're they're predominantly judged right. and assessed based on their level of english right mm. um at least some of the work that that that, that I've done with young people is is you know building a sense of pride in terms of their cultural identity and 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 sort of trying to unpack some of those strengths. So, for example, is that you know you might be on the journey of learning English um, and you might be progressing along that path, but you already speak five other language mm. five other languages fluently, and that's something to be exceptionally proud about. You know and yeah. Well, what, how do you think that that might sort of play out in some of the tips that you might provide to professionals and teachers, particularly in working with um, such young people?
1: Um, I think that students have can gain a lot of validation from having their strengths recognised, mm. um, and. Um, there's a lot of, there, there are weaknesses and areas that we um, need to perhaps provide more support to for yeah. um, students with refugee experience. But by the same token, um, when students feel that their, their high level of adaptability has been recognized you know Mm, they've um, they've adapted to some environments that if you haven't got that background you know would be really difficult to imagine ever being able to learn in, in the different circumstances that they've had to learn and survive in so they've got that adaptability they um, and it's it's a it's a survival strategy as well, becoming mm. a sort of cultural chameleon. If you you know you've lived in several countries of asylum, and then in Australia, um, being able to put on different skins just to get by, um, you know, socially or other, um, yeah, acknowledgement of you know English is often not just the second language it's an additional language um, yeah. yeah there's often uh, as you mentioned several languages that they've mastered um in in very in you know in record times before they've um worked on english um their empathy as well i just mm-hmm. i find a lot of a lot of our clients have um a really deep sense of um justice um empathy, compassion, Mm. they can understand, um, yeah, why people do the things they do and then, and then want to see, want to see justice. Um, yeah. So when those things can be recognized and acknowledged, um, at school, it it does, it does honor, um, their background and experiences.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. So I guess we've unpacked some of the strengths, um, around being a, a third culture kid. And I guess you've also, described, you know, yourself in this context, um, what, what do you think are are, are some of the, the challenges?
1: Um, probably that, that grief, um, that is, is not widely validated and recognized by the people around you who don't understand what it's like to, um, not fully belong to an ethnic culture. So, um, that you'll hear a lot in schools, you know, these are the um, Iraqi kids or these are the, um, you know, these are the African kids or the, mm-hmm. the Sudanese kids or something like that. And then, yeah, yeah but for, for someone who doesn't fully identify or feel that they are losing aspects of that particular ethnicity or, or cultural background that was mentioned, um, there's that tinge of um, grief and loss whenever you're put in a category that you don't quite feel um you fit into fully
0: and before you um you, you were talking a bit about the um uh, your own you know therapeutic practice and how you um you know you use a lot more of the creative therapies um i guess what well, what is it that attracts you to the creative therapies and um how do you think such can support the psyche along um mm-hmm. individuals own unique pathways to healing yeah
1: i use so i use art-based therapies um play therapy and um sand play therapy mm-hmm. and i think with all of those what i like about them when working with children is that there's not a high um uh reliance on speaking verbally on, talk, yeah. on talking talking mm-hmm. therapies um so i find that it can be like a shortcut to accessing the subconscious so whether mm-hmm. that's subconscious fears or yep. desires or maybe even insights or solutions that um, children might have to the struggles that they've got
0: mm-hmm. i
1: find um and different even amongst you know those three whether it's play, sand play or art um different s- individuals are drawn to different mediums. So I like to, at least at the beginning um, of a therapeutic relationship with a child, (laughs) carry as many of those resources with me in my giant suitcase when I go out to Mm. schools. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but after a while, um, a lot of my students, a lot of my clients um, find an affinity with with one of those mediums that Mm. we continue with.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess you know i'm 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 quite similar in my tendencies to um to gravitate towards the creative therapies, and one of the things that that really attracts me is 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 around particularly in depth psychology and the the um the idea around the the self healing mechanisms of the psyche and how these yeah. therapies can bring out those self healing mechanisms. Um, and I find that very comforting. In that you know, sometimes because of our experiences, we might have become overwhelmed, and and sometimes that, you know, we the 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 idea that we're being carried along, um, mm. yeah, I guess the idea of being carried along that mm. that that pathway towards healing, and it's our own self-healing mechanism that I find very comforting, and I guess you know one of the one of the questions that I want to ask you is that you know. I guess as a therapist, we we sometimes tend to gravitate towards the modalities which resonate most with us. Um, mm. And I guess, do you think that this is pertinent in your own journey? And um, and what do you think this says about you? And, and if so, what do you think this says about you as an individual?
1: Oh, that's a big question. Oh, um, I don't know. I do love to play. I think the ways that I play, in in addition to playing with my own child, which I thoroughly enjoy, is also um, dramatic play, like as in art, um, as in the dramatic arts. I really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, it's it's such a break. It's such a release of um, being just in the role of yourself most of the time. I think I find that really enjoyable. Um, again, getting to step into someone else's shoes and just not have any of the limitations as to the role and responsibilities that you're meant to fulfil in your day-to-day, you know, personality and role. You get mm-hmm. to, all those, yeah, all those disappear for a while when you're playing, whether that's, you know, dramatic play or just playing in the in, an, in a play therapy session.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you can really, you can explore. You've got that freedom of... Um, just trying out new things and go well it's not me it's this it's this figurine or it's this puppet that I'm using that's exploring what it's like to say this or do this and you can look at what the results are um in a really safe contained environment um Mm -hmm. you know in therapy because you're there with a with a play therapist or an art therapist Mm -hmm. um so yeah for myself um while I haven't experienced um Therapy as a client, like I do, engage as much as I can in the dramatic arts, and I uh, I find it oh just really cathartic, um, mm-hmm. just to have a break. I think to have a break from being yourself all the time, which <laughs> can be exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and um, in terms of art, I really, yeah, I really enjoy um, particularly watercolour painting myself, um, mm. but also other other forms of painting. Um, thanks to my daughter, I've been getting into more abstract forms of expression. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's, um, that's really liberating. Yeah. Um, and I think just getting into that sense of flow is also um, really soothing where um, and you see it when clients go into it, where they, when they realise that you're not waiting for them to finish. Um, I might yeah. often just be doodling alongside them so they haven't got this sense that I'm, you know, waiting for them to finish a work of art. Mm. And, and, um, and I've experienced that sense myself where you're fully present in the moment, um, you're, you're following your heart, um, it's like your your heart is choosing the colors, is choosing the technique, um, and there's there's no restrictions on on what ends up being on that paper. Mm-hmm. and It's just full expression, and it's and it's out there. And then you know it's there as a record, which is quite different to talking therapies as well. It's there, so it can be that transitional object that if you choose to share it with someone and talk about it and why you made that or what you know what you'd like to say about that work of art you you have that power as well to choose who to share it with mm-hmm. um, and clients have that as well of course um, yeah so things things that i've expressed just recently with the bushfires um things that i couldn't put into words about how that impacted me i yeah. was able to do through art um, and and in one one artwork just say it all about you know yeah. how awful that was and continues to be, um, yeah. yeah. So, is yeah. It a piece it that you
0: is it a piece that you kept?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I do. Yeah. I do still have it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Nicole. I really appreciate. It. Yeah. It sounds it sounds beautiful. Um, and particularly around, you know, how you were talking about, um, your, you know, um, the 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 dramatic arts and and how. You know, you can become another character um, because I know that you're also an actor and, and you've been you've been involved in the dramatic arts for a while. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that?
1: Oh, it's been on a very hobby level, um, yeah, just for fun. So just taking classes and workshops mm-hmm. when I can, um, and occasionally being involved in student projects. So. Yeah, it's just something I like to keep as active as I can on the sidelines as a hobby. Um, just to yeah, you always get insights and ideas, and meet meet really interesting people. And um, yeah, I just like to stay creative. I just know it's uh, I know it's good for me to mm-hmm. um, to stay creative, and it, it and they sort of impact each other because if I'm excited about being creative myself, I think. Um, That comes through in my work that I really believe in the healing properties of um, expressing creatively. Um, I hope it does anyway. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess this this feeds into, uh, I guess, my next question and the intersection between, you know, maybe our own therapeutic work and and perhaps self-care. but I just want to ask, you know, what, what grounds you in your practice and, and what tools and what things do you do um, to practice self-care?
1: Hmm. Um, I must say I realised through the pandemic just the the impact of driving from session to session, how that <laughs> provides quite a, a good break where you, you really do have to concentrate while you're driving on something else. Hmm. Um, so... Um, yeah I think I noticed um during the pandemic we're not having that um and that you do need to engage in another activity after a session um through telehealth um if possible so I do try to do something on a sensory level whether it's um you know a a really nice fragrant cup of tea or just going out into the garden even if it's five or ten minutes um uh to ground the 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 garden's probably the most effective i must say because yeah. um, you can take in so much on a visual level mm-hmm. um, auditory level um can yeah enjoy the fresh air um
0: maybe take your shoes off and have a bit of a walk
1: oh i haven't gone that far but i will now <laughs> mention <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. yeah and i think um yeah as much as as much as i can i've got the the blessing of having a separate um room at home for for work so um i try and keep that space just for room for just for work um but as yeah as much as possible sectioning off a place for work and a place for um you know home life has has been really important through this Mm -hmm, mm um yeah and um and I do, I honestly do go back to seeds, John Arden seeds regularly yeah, yeah, just to check yeah. in. <laughs> um, it, yeah, if I'm keeping up with all of those, because I, I find if I I maintain seeds and I know we'll put these in the show notes, Sean, um, yeah, well, I maintain. I mean,
0: could you possibly, uh, maybe I've brought this up in the past, but, um, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, can you explain what seeds are?
1: Yeah, so the acronym from John Arden is seeds. So S for I think he puts socializing first and then um exercise um, education so Mm -hmm. you know keeping your mind active learning Mm -hmm. things or engaging in your hobby um diet Mm -hmm. and sleep and you know it's um if i'm doing those um i'm pretty close to being able to um yeah maintain you know good boundaries stay grounded um yeah, it's, it covers quite a lot of what we need to to have good mental health.
0: And and seeds is just to keep it together.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's the bare minimum, but if you minimum. do it well, yeah, yeah
0: it's, it's it's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of us, you know, don't even invest in that. So I think it's it's important to you know, to assert that seeds is just the bare minimum. So mm. anything else yeah. around self-care?
1: No, I don't think I manage more than seeds, but I try to just at least do seeds well. And sometimes you realise, like you look at socialising, you're like, yeah, I'm socialising, but then you realise most of it has been, um, you know, chatting on um yeah messaging apps and it feels like you're you are and you are i genuinely do feel like you are connected to people but it might be like oh maybe i am lacking that one-on-one um face-to-face or at least a phone call um Mm -hmm. with that person so um yeah it's a good way to just check in and see where you might want to give a bit more attention um yeah to make sure you're nurturing yourself as well
0: fantastic well uh, is is there anything else that you'd like to that you'd like to raise? Um anything that I might you know not have have asked or something quite pertinent that you would like to um to tell to listeners? Um, no, not
1: really, Sean. I've really enjoyed um the interview,
0: so thank yeah. you. Likewise, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, um Nicole, for participating in this. And as I mentioned before, that you'll actually be taking on some of the interviews for, for Hints for Healing. So listeners in the future will be hearing a lot more of your voice. So, yeah, um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. So thanks so much, Nicole. Um, Thank you. Take care. And thank you, everyone, for listening today um, on this next, um, on on this latest um, episode of Fence for Healing. Bye now. Well, I do hope that you got something from this discussion. And once again, thank you for taking the time to listen. Uh, If you would like to, please rate and comment on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on, yet of course, that's entirely up to you. Um, I want to thank my friend Troy Riley for, for performing the intro and outro music for this, and just to say that we've also launched our Hints for Healing website with the link in the show notes. This site obviously includes our podcast recordings coupled with curated articles professional learning videos, um, our published research articles, and other bits and pieces, feel free to have a look. Again, take care, stay safe, everyone. Until next time, my friends, bye.